BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show, your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations. I'm Megan Kelly. Welcome to the Megan Kelly Show. Just had a very funny laugh with Abby. Sorry. <laughs> She's sitting here. We crack each other up some days. Uh, later today, we're going to have a fascinating discussion on China from two Americans, well, two non Chinese citizens who went over there and thought, hey, let's give this a try. It's beautiful. It's May- Holy shit. <laughs> and promptly got out of there and had a very eye opening experience. And they're here to tell you all about it. But first, Major follow-up to a story we brought you last week regarding the teenage girl who spoke out after she encountered a, quote, naked male in a local YMCA bathroom in Santee, California. Since then, there have been several updates in this story, and it all culminated last night in a very heated local city council meeting. Excuse me. I better not be getting Doug's flu. Doug is battling the flu. No, I feel good. I'm good. And say a prayer for Doug, who is not doing so well. Uh, joining me now to discuss all the latest, Mary Catherine Ham, host of the Getting Hammered podcast, and Bethany Mandel, editor of the children's book series, Heroes of Liberty, and contributing writer at Deseret News. Great to have you both. Welcome, ladies. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. Thank you. Yes. All right. So congrats, Bethany. I see you've got your your little one. Is this your latest? Yeah. And Mary Catherine is showing me up by being kid free and more newly postpartum. You know what? I'm just not as brave with my brain or my baby as Bethany is. So separate room for the baby so that the brain can do what it's supposed to do. Same, same. I hope, Bethany, you had the same reaction to uh, that I did to Meghan Markle being like, and I did the Australian tour where everyone was applauding me and loving me while pregnant. Like, hello. I know it was so hard. It was so we hard all work walking while around while working. How how difficult for you to juggle guest dating. Right. L- literally, right. all you have to do is just exist to gestate. <laughs> it's so true. Okay, sorry. To well, I'm sure she had no note. help, guys. No staff. I'm sure she had absolutely nobody taking care of her whatsoever. And by the way, no one was asking how she was either. No mm. one. Um, let's talk about what's happening out in California, in SoCal. Uh, so we've had Carrie Prejean and Brett, uh, Britt Mayer coming on. We've been talking about their efforts as these two sort of mom warriors to fight back against the overreaches by the very activist trans community, right? Very activist and in sort of taking over women's spaces. And um, these two, they don't care what they get called. They show up and they say no hard pass and they do get called a lot of names, but it's not about them. 
It's about this 17 year old girl who came out and uh, her name is Rebecca Phillips. And she showed up at the Santee City Council meeting to say, I'm 17 and I was at the Y and I saw a naked male and I object. I object to having been put through that. I object to the thought of my five year old little sister potentially having to deal with that. And I will say this. She didn't say she saw a naked penis. Sorry to drop the P word in the first three minutes of the show. But she said she saw a naked male just to take a walk down memories lane. Here's what she said in part. Rebecca Phillips sought six. As I was showering after my workout, I saw a naked male in the women's locker room. I immediately went back into the shower, terrified, and hid behind their flimsy excuse for a curtain until he was gone. So the why has to allow people like a trans woman to use the women's bathroom because California state law says they must. Um, they, it's, it's a law out there. The why wasn't particularly apologetic either. Well, now the person who says that she is the trans woman that was seen by Rebecca has come forward. And I don't know whether that's true or not, but I know this person has a history at this why of being a biological male, but going in and using the women's locker room and doing protests and having all sorts of commotion around the fact that this was this was this person's preference. This person goes by Kristen Wood now. Uh, Kristen is 66 years old. Six years ago, she was a man. She was living as a biological man. She wasn't transitioned. So six years ago, it was very clear this person would have had to use the male facility. Now, Kristen Wood says she has transitioned. As recently as December 2021, she definitely had not had sex reassignment surgery on her penis. All right. This her her penis. I mean, this is the bizarre world in which we're now living. Um, But now she claims she has. Stay with me. And she's very, very angry at Rebecca Phillips. Um, She came out and spoke in uh, to a local publication saying the following. Here's a sub four. People, entire families were coming up to get their picture taken and to introduce me to their children. It's important that they finally get to hear the truth and they finally get to put a face on this scary transgender woman who was misgendered. All right. So that's obviously a biological man. There's, it wouldn't take much to figure that out, as Rebecca Phillips did. So here's the twist of the story. Kristen Wood is defending Kristen Wood's behavior by saying, I had sex reassignment surgery and where would you have me go? I went to the women's room because I am a woman. It's separate and apart from California law. I am and you're a bigot if you object. Well, it's not just Carrie Prejean and Rip Mayer who object, uh, but they're two of the women who showed up at the meeting uh, last night. I think it was city council meeting. That's where Rebecca first uh, stood up to object. And here's you know what? I should play this longer soundbite from Kristen Wood before I let the ladies respond. Here's a longer soundbite by Kristen uh, in her defense. Okay, Sot one. On the morning of Thursday, December 12th, my aqua sister Vicky called to say, Chrissy, I'm so sorry about what happened last night in Santee. I replied, well, what happened? Her answer was, oh my God, you don't know, do you? Let me send you the Instagram video. I watched it and I collapsed in tears. I'm here to spread the light of truth in the face of these inaccuracies. I'm a mom, a grandmom. Now, please look at me. Listen to the sound of my voice. I am a threat to no one. In the year I've been a member of the Y, children have attended summer camp and have been with their parents and grandparents in the women's locker room with me, and there has never, 
ever been an incident, ever. Not until one was manufactured using this forum to do so. I am fully transitioned, asking to be confirmed at my doctorate Sharps, who is also my gynecologist. Oh, boy. I am sorry that this forum was previously used to spread lies and a hateful political agenda. God's bless you all for this opportunity. Uh, Kristen wants us to believe that Kristen needs a, a gynecologist. Even if you've had sex transition surgery, you don't have an actual vagina, okay? You don't have a female reproductive system. You don't have anywhere near the actual worries of an actual woman when it comes to what goes on down south in Rio. That's the truth, all right? We're looking at three moms here who have had babies in the not-too-distant past. Um, my last one was nine years ago, but I just, like, can we not pretend that a gynecologist is behaving toward Kristen the way a gynecologist actually must to maintain one's medical license. What they do is create a hole. That's what they do. They create a hole in what the area that used to have a penis and they want to declare that a vagina, which it isn't. I'm sorry. Okay. Sorry. That's me, but whatever. I'm leading. So, you, I'm going to give you the floor in one second. I'm just it's a long setup for the story. Carrie, Britt, others go to say what the hell's happening here. And they don't accept uh, Kristen's protestations that Kristen belongs in the female locker room. I'll give you a sampling of what they said. Here's Carrie Sattu. I'm identifying tonight as Christy Lynn Wood, so I have three minutes. This is a war on women, children, and the truth, capital T. And the enemy is disguised in high heels, lipstick, and a shaved beard. Cultural appropriation is wrong, and gender appropriation is wrong. And I, my job is to protect my children. And that's why I'm here. This is not about equality. This is about complete domination and superiority. We're not going to accept this. There is no such thing as a trans transitioning gender. That is a made up fantasy. It doesn't matter if you chop your penis off. It doesn't make you a woman. It doesn't make you a woman. It makes you unwell. We want, we are not going to bow down to your gender ideology cult. Well, here's what needs to happen tonight. You guys, while you still have your balls, do something about it. We need protection for the little Rebecca. Stop. I get stop. more time. No. Your time is up. Stop. Stop. The microphone is turned off. Nobody's hearing you. Oh, boy. And here's the last piece of it, which is Britt getting up. And by the way, these two have come on the show and they they according to what I don't know if we got this directly or if we heard them responding in written form, they were subjected to such harassment. They had to be um, escorted out by the sheriff's department because the place was filled with trans activists who honestly, you should distinguish from trans people because the activists are just in a class, a special class of angry, um, not to be confused with the trans community uh, writ large. Yeah, they told us that. OK, here's Brit. This radical new reworked language to force everyone to play by the rules of an ideology that is based on feelings rather than biology and truth is unsustainable and it's dangerous. If everyone can be a woman, then no one is a woman. I pulled up and the vice mayor spot was open. If I identify as vice mayor and maybe even get a, get a tattoo that says vice mayor and hand out business cards as vice mayor, am I legally vice mayor and am I allowed now to the table? Can I yell discrimination if you don't play by my rules? The logical conclusion of policies that are catered to ideologies that are not based in any truth is utter and complete chaos. We are asking you to step in and to put forward an ordinance that will protect women and girls. Play the hero. We're at the tipping point in society. 
Mm. Okay, I'm done. And uh, I would love to get your thoughts on all of this, ladies. Uh, Bethany, you were trying to jump in a second ago. I'll start with you. Yeah, so I, I just have sort of a technical question. So this person is asserting that they have been fully transitioned medically. If that's the case, then how did a 17-year-old girl recognize that this was a biological male? I hmm. presume that she wasn't that close to this person's genitalia. So obviously, it's obvious enough from afar, from across the room, that there's something there that shouldn't be there when you're a biological woman. So this this sort of presumption that this is a full transition and this person has a gynecologist, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna call BS on. I mm-hmm. I don't believe it's true. Mm-hmm. I know because we know from the earlier reports because she's been causing trouble at this YMCA. Um, she was not transitioned as of December 2021. So you know that's a, a year plus ago. Doesn't mean it couldn't have happened in the last year, but it, it would have been awfully recent. And by the way, I don't know if it matters, MK, because this girl never claimed she saw male genitalia. She right. said, I saw a naked male. I think I would recognize that Kristen was, an, was a male, was a biological male, if I saw Kristen from behind as well. Well, so your question earlier was, do we have to pretend about the gynecologist? And the answer is, yes, we are. The demand is that we pretend. Uh, And the demand is that you do not object in any way, shape or form. And that is not something that is acceptable to me. This young woman is a minor who was in this setting, saw something that made her uncomfortable and made her wonder about the safety of this locker room. She is allowed to have those concerns. It is crazy town to tell her she's not allowed to. And the way this is being covered is just insane. Uh, There's a headline, I believe it was Daily Beast, that called it her gym freakout. A 17-year-old's gym freakout. It's like, well, maybe we should respect the fact that she's a little concerned about this and that 17-year-old girls maybe should be protected in some way uh, and should listen to their guts on things like this. Another uh, PBS headline out of San Diego, Protests over use of Sandy YMCA locker room by trans woman, part of a troubling national trend. Is that the national trend where we care what our daughters are exposed to in locker rooms? Like I I have three daughters. I would like them to be able to use their spidey sense to understand when something might be making them uncomfortable and not be ashamed to say it. And what this is, is a national trend toward making them ashamed that they are uncomfortable and that is dangerous for them. That's exactly right. And and th- she was called a bigot. Um, we've seen it over and over again, where anybody who raises an objection to this is called a bigot. And the the insufferable piece of it, Bethany, <laughs> is the people really calling women like Carrie and Britt and this young girl, Rebecca, and me and possibly you two as a result of this segment, bigots are biological men. So they could take a seat because I don't want to yeah. be lectured to by a biological man about how I need to be quiet about them entering my child's all-female space, right? That's exactly my role, is to speak up for her. And in Rebecca's case, to try to find the voice to speak up for herself. Yeah. At our local community center where we do swim classes, my seven-year-old son isn't allowed into the locker room anymore with me, and we have to go get changed in the family locker room because men aren't allowed. But at the same time, an adult male would be allowed into that locker room, but my seven-year-old male child wouldn't unless I start calling him, I don't know, whatever. I can't think of a female name. 
But <laughs> if I start calling him a girl, then all of a sudden I can let him into that room. But sort of touching back on what Mary Catherine just said, what's really troubling to me is the safety aspect and that we're teaching young girls to ignore that spider sense. Yep. And there's there's so much of the female experience that these trans men who claim to be women will never understand. But one of the most sort of traumatic moments in that transition when you go from a young young girl to a woman is when you start fearing for your physical safety. And that's not an experience that they have ever had um, when it comes to sexuality. They've never had to sort of look behind them with their keys in their hand and the panic and the finger on the panic button on their keychain because they're scared of who's walking behind them. And while there is a fear of physical violence, the fear of sexual violence is something that is unique to the female experience. And we are teaching young girls that they have to ignore the spider sense that has kept every woman safe since the beginning of time. We have that spider sense because men can be predators. And this idea that if a, if a man calls himself a woman, then there's no way that he could ever be predatory is right. absolutely absurd because men will do literally anything to take advantage of a woman, to see a woman naked, except, except this one thing. They would never lie about their gender. That's something that's beyond the pale. They would, however, rape and kill a woman, but they would never lie about their gender. Right. This, this is such a good point. My God. And it's like you, we had Deborah So on here um, it, just last week. She was responding to a viewer who had called in concerned that her 23-year-old is, is seeming to think she's uh, the opposite gender. And um, Deborah So is saying this story really disturbs her because, again, we don't know if the male genitalia was still intact or not, but she was saying transgender women, you know, biological men who want to live as women, they don't, they don't run around with their penises out. They'd be horrified to walk around naked. They don't really love having the penis. They really want to lean into the female role. And so if you see that, it's actually a serious red flag. So again, we don't know what the truth is here. I have no idea. But the point is, there is reason to be concerned. And even if it has happened in this particular case, it's a bigger issue because there will be men who take advantage of this law. And what we're doing is not allowing for that at all. Mary Catherine. Well, yeah. And the the problem is, look, I am a person who wants to have like maximal freedom for as many people as possible. Right. And to to make sure that we can live together in harmony. Right. Uh, more libertarian leaning. However, like there has to be a compromise position here because a locker room is a special place. These all may all female spaces are important to women. And then you have the issue of when the standard is subjective. How do you deal with the idea that someone could be not well-meaning, guys? And in fact, it has happened. I believe there's a spa in L.A. where someone got in trouble um, over something like this, where a trans woman was in the uh, hot tub, I believe, uh, with young people. And this is something that can be obviously dangerous to young women and to minors in general. And we're just sort of not allowed to object to it or point it out. And that mm -hmm. is not a compromise position that protects my freedom or the freedom of my kids. Yeah, I... it's it's a question of what's what's takes precedence. The physical safety of young girls and, and not just young girls, I'd like to be physically safe too. Yes. But the physical safety or the emotional well-being of people who who call themselves transgender. And I'm sorry, I will take physical well-being over emotional satisfaction any day of the week. And and we are all supposed to swallow 
our our physical needs to not see a penis, not encounter a penis, all of those that we're supposed to just ignore those feelings and that safety aspect because people might have their feelings hurt. And I don't care. Why? Why is it making my blood boil that Kristen claims to have a gynecologist? I I really like it's making my blood boil and I, it's, I'm having like a real reaction to it in a way I actually didn't expect. And I'm, I'm thinking it through live. And part of it is I just actually went to the gynecologist. Actual women have to go to the gynecologist once a year. When yeah. you just delivered a baby, you spend your life in with your gynecologist, your OBGYN. And it's never particularly pleasant <laughs> to go see the gynecologist. The exam doesn't feel particularly good. The pap smear is very uncomfortable. No one looks forward to that. We actually have things we need to worry about, like ovarian cancer or other kinds of cancers that you can get in the OB field. Um, you, you have to get a breast exam. You're constantly worrying whether they're going to find a lump and how that could go. There are things that are particular to that exam and that relationship that no fucking man is ever going to have. All right. So that guy doesn't have a gynecologist. That guy has a hole that a surgeon created at best. I'm sorry. It's like infuriating to me because there are things that make women special. Yeah. And there are things that we've overcome and that we must overcome as women in order to thrive in, the, in this life, whether it's the threat of sexual violence or, you know, being attacked as we walk home from college bars to our dorms or the, the fears that you have when you go to the gynecologist or when you are pregnant with a baby. All those things, they're baked in. And it's part of what makes women so incredible and strong. And you can't just become one and take all of our things because you did or did not have a surgery or you put on a dress. It's it doesn't work like that. My my favorite thing is when people say we're pregnant, when men say it, we're pregnant. We're expecting a baby. We had a baby. No, no, no. There's no we involved here. The woman, the mother is the one that's throwing up for nine months. She's the one that is having heartburn, like come out of her nose. And then she gets to experience the joy of pushing a watermelon out of something the size of a lemon. It is <laughs> awful. Very clear memories. It was too recent. Very clear. Very, Very clear. clear. Those MK memories had her baby for this month. Yeah. yeah. Mary Catherine, not Mary, <laughs> Megan Kelly, you had a baby nine years ago and yet it's still vivid. It never <laughs> goes away. And this idea that men can do all of these things, it's, it makes me equally enraged when we talk about birthing persons, because what it does is it breaks us down as women into vessels. That's the handmaid's tale stuff. When they take away everything that is unique and powerful for women, and my God, men, society would never have survived. Humanity would not exist if men had to be pregnant. They take all of that away from women, and then they try to, to take it on and say, you know, we are birthing persons. Men can be pregnant too. No, 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 no. That's, that's a joy that is only for us. Yeah, and it so comes true. with bragging rights. Well, so yeah, I'm at, I'm at a point in my life where I'm keenly aware of all that's going on in that uh, in those special ways. And I just <laughs> delivered a baby three weeks ago and it is really special. And I'm with you, Megan, that I don't want my stuff taken from me. And I believe that there are ways to appropriately and politely deal with all people without just sort of abrogating all of the language that we use to deal yes. with this, because I think that is offensive. And there are. It, it is amazing to me that so many feminists who will, they will stipulate that 
women are special in these ways and they face special threats and that they that all these things are true while also contending that we're not allowed to worry about this at all or the appropriation yes the appropriation of the special things about us um we're not allowed to object to that those two things don't go together we are special for these reasons mm-hmm. I, and you see it when you you know when you look at your husband too it's like we i don't it's just like not to get too pro- poetic about it but it's like you see that beautiful male bicep, you know, that great shoulder that the guy gets and that sort of V, ideally, <laughs> shape from the torso down to the waist and like those firm bottoms that we'll never have no matter how much time we spend. I'm just going to play this for my husband and tell him you were talking about him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying their natural instinct to protect us, like their chivalry, their yeah. the way they, you know, seeing a man show his tenderness toward a baby in a way that's different than the mom does. And you know how the mom tries to sort of make excuses for little junior, but the dad tries to shore him up to get tougher. All those things are so beautiful and they're meaningful. They, they're they there because of thousands of years of evolution and the way we, we used to have to live in the way we do now. And they cannot be dismissed as a nothing because you went to see a surgeon. I, it's, oh God. And, and to turn, yeah, go ahead. I mean, that's just something that I, I think that a lot of trans activists ignore the biological evolutionary aspect of all of this. All of these things exist for evolutionary reasons. And these are the folks that have the have the thing on their front lawn in this house. We believe right. in science, except for biology and evolution. Mm, yeah, that's true. That. And and to turn the page literally, um, this is continuing like it's not just poor Rebecca who's being dismissed as a bigot or not to mention Car- Carrie and Brit. This woman just got fired for liking a J.K. Rowling tweet. Okay, so she's her name is Kara Lynn. She gave an interview to National Review, uh, I think, was it either National Review or Daily Mail? Yeah, National Review. And she worked for a gaming company, Limited Run Games, which you wouldn't think is like the most progressive, far left, woke company. I don't know. It's like I would think they cater to young guys for the most part. But in any event, she was a community manager, which I think meant she did press for them uh, for limited run games. She worked there for more than two years and she just got fired because she enjoyed Harry Potter and followed some politically disfavored accounts on Twitter. Again, reading uh, from National Review. She the first domino fell, she told National Review, when a friend of hers, an influencer for Twitch, another streaming platform, asked his followers for their thoughts on the new Harry Potter themed game, Hogwarts Legacy. She, Carolyn, made the the mistake of responding. I'm personally looking forward to it. The more I see gameplay, the more excited I get. It's hitting all the marks I've been wanting for a Harry Potter game. Well, (laughs) that's fireable. Obviously. (laughs) So then this activist uh, who goes by the by the name Purple Tinker on Twitter? Um, according to the Washington Post, the person behind that name is Jessica Blank, who's actually a biological man going as a transgender woman, and the founder feel. of Brawny Con, an annual convention for adult fans of My Little Pony. Yeah, these yeah. are sick. Efforts. No, no danger signs there, by the way. <laughs> There, I, I have a friend no who went flags. to a convention and he, he called, he like group texted all of us as soon as he walked in. He's like, holy shit, 
There's a My Little Pony convention here. It's all freakish men attending. It get, they get off on it. They get off on yes. little girls, okay, My Little Pony dolls. Okay. So this is Jessica, who's behind the attempt to take down Carolyn. And Jessica decided to go look through Carolyn's old tweets and found that she follows people like Libs of TikTok, Ian Miles Chong. Yeah, same, by the way. And uh, exposed that she at one point had tweeted out something to the effect of, um, oh, seven-year-old tweet criticizing transgender inclusive bathroom legislation and called her a bigot, blah, blah, blah. The company caved. She's fired because of this. And they're not even trying to pretend it was for any reason other than this campaign against her. Did they put out a statement that was like, we respect other people's views. However, we just fired her for liking tweets because that usually comes right after the cancellation. Yes. Here's what they said. Here's my notes from what they said. I, I don't know if you can read this, but I wrote F you. I, my potty mouth. <laughs> my mom told me to stop swearing so much. So did Deseret News, Bethany. But I, it's hard. Um, Sorry. Okay. They told I know me I, that too. I know I need to do it, but I, it's really hard. It's, it's hard. It's, it's so hard, especially when you're from New York. I, I feel yes. your pain. Right? It's in our blood. It's in our blood. It's like in the bagels. Oh, no. Yes. I don't have an excuse then. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, what's really what crazy. Said. Wait, well, let me read their statement. They said, limited run games respects all personal opinions. Yes, you called it exactly, mm-hmm. Mary Catherine. Yeah. However, we remain committed to supporting an inclusive culture. Upon investigating a situation, an employee was terminated. That's it. Upon investigating a situation, an employee was terminated. Passive, passive voice. Mm-hmm. Our goal as a company is to continue to foster a positive, wait for it, and safe environment for everyone. Because it is indeed dangerous when someone likes a tweet and they work at your office, probably remotely, by the way. It's super dangerous. Right. What were you going to say, Bethany? So I just think it's really funny that they once again have thrown a woman under the bus in order to cater to the feelings of a biological male. That's that's the theme for all of these things. Women are thrown under the bus to cater to the feelings of biological males. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Back to the original theme. And I guess um, this person, Jessica Blank, a.k.a. Purple Tinker, a.k.a. founder of BronyCon, an annual convention for adult fans of My Little Pony, has made the point that it's been a long time since they have held a My Little Pony convention or <laughs> went to one, which I have news for you is really no defense, Jessica to the fact that you found it and used to love that stuff as recently as, I guess, a few years ago. Um, these companies need to stand up. Uh, yes. They need to stand up. This cannot keep happening. Or it's the end of our society. Yeah. No, the 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 words, your concerns are noted, are a lost art. Like, like let's just enact that. Like, you can you can tell someone, I hear what you're saying. We will not be making this person pay consequences for disagreeing with you. Now the left will say, this isn't cancel culture, this is consequences culture. Consequences for liking tweets, for following people whom other people disagree with. I follow a lot of people that I disagree with and people might find objectionable. And I am allowed to look at their thoughts. That is not, yeah. that is not a thing that is a fireable offense. It's Me Looney too. Tunes. Me too. Yeah. I follow Nicole, Nicole Hannah-Jones and she and I have had some dust ups and so on. That. I want to hear what she has to say. I think she's yes. interesting. I don't agree with her, but she's interesting. Um, it's absurd. 
to be doing this kind of thing. And it's it, it's branching up out uh, up next. I'm going to take a quick break and we're going to talk about what's happening. Um, it's John Caldwell at Fox News who just got thrown out of a restaurant for openly expressing his conservative views. This is a crazy story. That's next. Don't go away. Do you owe back taxes? Pandemic relief is now over. Along with hiring thousands of new agents and field officers, the IRS has kicked off 2024 by sending over 5 million pay-up letters to those who have unfiled tax returns or balances owed. Oh, joy. Don't waive your rights and speak with them on your own. Tax Network USA, a trusted tax relief firm, has saved over $1 billion in back taxes for their clients, and they can help you secure the best deal possible. Whether you owe $10,000 or $10 million, they can help you. Whether it's business or personal taxes, even if you have the means to pay or you're on a fixed income, they can help finally resolve your tax burdens once and for all. Call 1-800-245-6000 for a private free consultation or visit tnusa.com slash Megan. This is crazy to me. Gianno Caldwell, uh, who is, he works for Fox News, you guys may know him, uh, was down in North Miami. So it's Florida. And you're like, Florida, that's supposed to be like where you can say things that you want to say, not get canceled. Um, he went into the, par- I, is it Paradise it's spelled without the E at the end, I think. Paradis? Paradis. Okay, maybe it's French. Um, <laughs> books and bread. Paradis, books and bread. They kicked him out of the restaurant. Okay, as he told the story to Fox and Friends and Daily Wire reporting on it. Kicked him out of the restaurant claiming the behavior and words of the group he was with, and I think of Caldwell as well, made the employees and other patrons in the space, quote, very uncomfortable. Okay, now for the for the listening audience, if it matters, Gianno's black, but that would not save him with these woke warriors down at the, at this book and bread store. What, what? (laughs) Um, he told Fox and friends, the story saying one of the owners came over to their table as they were eating breakfast and told them she'd been listening to their conversation, a creepy, and that they were not welcome. He, uh, asked if he had said something triggering to her, to which she responded no, but said their politics are not aligned and asked him to leave because she did not feel comfortable. He was there with a few people. This is a white woman, he said. Um, he said the group had discussed several topics, including Caldwell's time working at Fox News, his values, violent crime, and progressive district attorneys. Keep in mind that Gianno's brother was shot and killed in Chicago um, last year. So he's got a lot of thoughts on these soft on crime DAs, and apparently he was discussing them. And uh, this person comes over and tells him, get out. And she's not denying it. She responded on Instagram saying um, that she found him offensive. She said, uh, well, I want to get to it. Once it was clear that they were finished with their meal, we told them that our views do not align and that the language they were using was unwelcome in our space. And uh, she claims that they were talking about women in degrading ways, as well as using eugenic arguments around their thoughts on Roe versus Wade. You know what? It's none of her business what they were discussing. This is so crazy. Now, even speaking conservative thoughts in a restaurant or bookstore, unclear, (laughs) can get you booted out of a public space. What do you make of it? 
Well, just a review quickly uh, of things that are dangerous. People having conversations, uh, people who like tweets, uh, a person in a locker room that you have concerns about. Not, no chance that could be an issue. But the tweeting <laughs> and the talking, huge issues. Yes, good point. It's going yeah, on a I, very slippery slope. It, what's interesting is the feelings of one side have take precedence here. So the yeah. feelings of this white woman, those have more weight than that of a black man who has experienced the effects of violent crime. If, if we're going to talk about eugenics and all of those things related to Roe versus Wade, I feel like a black man's opinion when you when you look at the fact that I think it's 85 to 90 percent of black babies in New York City where he lives are aborted. I feel like that should carry some weight, but not really because he works for Fox News. Yeah, it's a good point. Why? Why isn't he entitled to talk about that? Why? And it's it's not it's like someone in our facility found your views offensive. She says our political views don't align. So get out. I mean, is this the future? You know, there was a story like well, some bank was talking about. Don't come here if your values aren't aligned with our like, is this the future where we're just going to have two systems forever? We're going to have two different restaurants, two different banks, two different real estate brokers like you, you know, for the left and the right, for the red and the blue. I'm I'm afraid it is. I hope it's not. I've written about this a lot of times. Uh, it is an unhealthy way of being in a society even if you have the right to refuse service, which many people do, right? But like the idea that you need to check your bagel places politics before you go in and grab a sandwich is not a healthy way to operate in society. And if you're the one who insists that your customers align with you on all politics, you are being a giant baby and intolerant. So what I want to know is- the been filing these lawsuits over and over against the cake baker and this oh, other yeah. woman whose cases that they, they have to provide service. They have to. And they've been defending themselves saying we don't, not if it's compelled speech and they've been winning. But now you've got the left saying, I, I don't have to provide service to you, even though I'm a public business. I can I make was compelled you to hear your out. speech. That's right. Not real. Right. Like, <laughs> we, like the, there could be a lawsuit brewing here, Bethany. I, I think it's worth a visit from lots of folks to sit there and talk about Roe versus Wade. Um, what, what I want to know is, did he get a free meal out of this? She says that she waited until after his meal was over. Was that after he paid the check too? And Good then question. he was asked to leave? Because if I can get a free meal in North Miami Beach for just talking <laughs> about how I don't think that Black babies should be aborted en masse and that I, I think that that has sort of eugenics undertones, I am all in favor of getting a free meal while also talking about my political beliefs in a way that makes someone feel uncomfortable. I so Bethany and I could get kicked out of so many restaurants by this standard. Just I, everywhere I, we as, go. As long as we get kicked out after we eat yes. before the check comes. Yes. At least we, the free bread. Why don't yeah. we just pool our funds and create right next to this store Paradise Books and Bread where you can We're say whatever the hell you want. We welcome lefties. We welcome righties. We re welcome the crazy libertarians. We have one yes. as an owner, apparently. And uh, and and see how we do next to old Paradis book and bread. I don't. This is this cannot be our future. We have to shame these people 
and call them out on this bad behavior. I will say now, um, on Sunday, he went on Fox and Friends this weekend, the business was closed. And on Instagram, they posted that they were starting their winter break early instead of when it was supposed to start on January 29th. They've now made their mm -hmm. Instagram account private so you can no longer see their posts. Um, but the owners had apparently bragged before that in their facility, you would see their enviable library of politically charged books. So you see Great. political views are very welcome just so yeah. long as they don't promote Harry Potter or biological women and their spaces and so on. I mean, we could go on. And by I the way, I, I could sit next to books that think different things than I think. I know it's like a superpower, but I could eat yes. lunch next to people and books that profess things I don't agree with. You might be doing it right now. Look at both of you. Have it's true. You can check. I don't know what's back there. <laughs> I didn't we didn't check them we, all out. We snuck some books back there about end of discussion and about That's how right. the left is shutting down great speech book. available Thank on Amazon. Amazon. Great book. Yeah. Mary Catherine Hamm, <laughs> Guy Benson, 2015, if memory serves. I, That's I, correct. That's correct. Before, you, got, you have to, not better. I know. I was about to say, I was like, you have to rewrite that book. Mm -hmm. so you have to refresh it. You and Guy have to get in get in with all of the craziness. You you were a little too soon on the jump. You predicted mm -hmm. how crazy things were going to get, but then you missed all the best content. You may have Yeah, but as we say for the ideas. book, it's great for the book, bad for America. Yes. Uh, okay. Now, speaking of Guy Benson, he is one of our favorite people. You and I were both at his wedding. You were in his wedding, MK. Um, he is a gay conservative. Uh, I mm -hmm. only mention his sexual identity because it's potentially relevant to my next point. Um, people like Guy, people like Dave Rubin, they, they don't run around talking about who, who they like to have sex with, who they love, who they what their preferences are any more than you or I do. They, they don't. Um, we bring it up because gay rights have been an issue over these many years. However, I don't think Guy Benson or Dave Rubin or any of these, I don't think they're going to be in favor of things like the latest Burberry ad. Burberry has now decided that they're going to do a new ad campaign. And it's not just showing a same-sex couple kissing. It's showing, which, I mean, I think we're kind of used to at this point. I don't know if they're trying to be provocative or something like that, but they're showing a, a woman, a biological woman who's had a double mastectomy. Yeah, here it is. Uh, this this person on the left is a biological woman who's had a double mastectomy and is living as a man kissing another man. How is this selling Burberry? How is this? This is where I, I genuinely believe the LGBTQIA whole thing has separated like this. I don't see how this is healthy for society to see a woman who's cut her breasts off kissing another person in an ad to sell a weather company's gear. Like, help me, MK. No, I think luxury brands in particular, as we noticed with the uh, the 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 last controversial one, which is escaping my mind because I had a baby too recently. Balenciaga. Um, yes, Balenciaga. Uh, they are just uniformly populated with people who believe one thing, and it is the farthest left thing one can believe on all of the on all of the issues. Partly because you know if they liked any other tweets or listened to any of them or followed them uh they'd get fired right so yeah. you have i think this distortion of what might play with people and i think there is an attempt to be provocative i'm not that provoked because we see a lot of this content because the entire media is aligned with this point of view but like how are you selling the raincoats yeah where are the clothes in this burberry ad i don't i find this upsetting because i don't want it marketed on a mass yeah. basis 
uh, that little girls can just chop, chop off their breasts. Go ahead and chop off your breasts. There's absolutely no downside. Have you ever known somebody who's had a double mastectomy? Um, it can be extremely painful it's and it can cause deal. ongoing medical problems for a long, long yeah. time. Um, and I, like to just pop it up there like, hey, there's nothing wrong. See those scars right there? Yeah, it's beautiful. Bring it. It's an, it, it ain't but a thing. Just buy a Burberry raincoat to cover it up. Like, what are they trying to say, Bethany? Yeah, that's something that has always sort of bothered me about all this trans activism is the no consequences messaging behind yeah. all of it. No consequences of hormones, no consequences of the the physical maiming that takes place with all of these surgeries. And I find that as someone who is very nervous about how society is going when it comes to gender messaging, um, the, I mean, there's so many components of it, but the the no consequences thing is something that really bothers me because we're telling young girls and and this is a social contagion really among young girls it's not really happening among men in the nearly the same numbers that it's happening among young women and we're lying to them about the physical physical consequences uh they are terrifying these young women are left usually infertile um they can't breastfeed uh, they're making all of these life-altering, physically-altering decisions that are permanent with the belief that they are not permanent, that they they everything can be reversed. And you're right, Megan, that they're showing these scars as something that's beautiful, when the reality is I, I have a friend who just underwent a, a double mastectomy because she tested positive for the breast cancer gene, yep. and she just went in for her fourth surgery. And the most sort of troubling stories from people who have detransitioned are about the physical ramifications of everything that they had to undergo. And before they've even tried to reverse it, it it's, it's real physical maiming. And it's at the hands of people who claim that they, they at first and foremost do no harm. Yeah, that's exactly right. I, it's really disturbing to me. I, I'm interested in this story as well, because honestly, I feel like the people who sort of speak for the trans community and and to a lesser extent, uh, the lay the, the lesbian, lesbian and gay community um, are not always the best spokespeople. And so they do things like the queer prom. Have you seen this from the libs of TikTok account that they're, they're celebrating the queer queer prom? I actually have no problem with that. Like if, if maybe if you're gay and you don't know who else is gay, you'd love the queer prom because it might help you. I don't know. But why do they have to sexualize it? Why do they have to treat young gay men and young lesbian women as though they're sex fiends at all times. Like somehow it turns on at 14 for a young lesbian in a way it doesn't for a young straight girl. It's ridiculous. So here's from libs of TikTok the, the, what they're talking about when they're advertising this queer prom. It's SOT 12. They're so great. Everyone's going to get a crystal uh, star-shaped pendant and a little charm in there, a Progress Pride flag, a Planned Parenthood bracelet, amazing stuff from our friends at NAMI, condoms, lube, dental dam, latex dam. Thank you, Evolution Candy. Oh, my gosh, Carter. Hi, I see you there. Uh, and... Cute little cards with information. All right. This is Pennsylvania. Happened in October. Kids as young as 13. You tell me why they're offering dental dams and lube to 13-year-olds who are just there to, you know, mm. maybe meet somebody or make a connection. Like, I don't help. 
This they is got the sexualization <laughs> of an entire generation. I mean, this is this is everything that they want to do. It's not just about gay rights and and all of these things and being free. It's also about sexualizing children. It's what it all comes down to. I, you know, it's so aggravating, I mean, MK. I always tell my kids what my mom told me. No, if you're gay or lesbian, don't worry about it. Mommy loves you. But I, I don't, I wouldn't send them to a queer prom if they were going to be offering them dental dams at age 13. We, we had out couples at our regular prom. And is this a school sponsored event, by the way? That, right. That that's a Yeah. Good mm. question. Um, I don't know. I know that they, there was a state senator who was a sponsor of it. Uh, state Senator Steve Centar Sierro. Um, and they held it at the Cosmic Colors Queer Prom. It was called at the, I don't know, in Doylestown, Pennsylvania. In any event, I really think we need to get over this. Now, kids who are gay or lesbian, they don't need to see a drag queen. They don't need to be offered condoms at age 13 or any, or lube. This is insulting, right? There are a lot of Christian families that also have gays and lesbians who wouldn't support or premarital sex like that anyway, but can get behind gays and lesbians like the Pope just did. In any event, um, more for another day. There's so much. We have 25 other stories on this, sadly, that we could get to, but uh, we have to move on. Bethany, Mary Catherine, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Thanks love, ladies. When we come back, China. Do you owe back taxes? Pandemic relief is now over. Along with hiring thousands of new agents and field officers, the IRS has kicked off 2024 by sending over 5 million pay-up letters to those who have unfiled tax returns or balances owed. Oh, joy. Don't waive your rights and speak with them on your own. Tax Network USA, a trusted tax relief firm, has saved over $1 billion in back taxes for their clients, and they can help you secure the best deal possible. Whether you owe $10,000 or $10 million, they can help you. Whether it's business or personal taxes, even if you have the means to pay or you're on a fixed income, they can help finally resolve your tax burdens once and for all. Call 1-800-245-6000 for a private, free consultation or visit TNUSA.com slash Megan. Now we switch gears to focus on China. Major protests against China's zero COVID policies broke out late last year, and they're still ongoing as Chinese health authorities have relented a bit on the zero COVID, but now claim that a staggering eight in 10 people have contracted COVID since they lifted those restrictions thanks to the protesters as of December, right? This is why they say it all happened just since then. Although no one outside of China can verify these numbers. Here to discuss it all are two new guests, Winston Sturzel and Matthew Tai. They both lived in China for a decade and they're now popular YouTubers covering all things China. Winston, Matt, welcome to the show. Thank, Thank you. you so much. It's a pleasure. Yeah, great to have you. So this is an this is an amazing story. So, uh, Winston, you were from South Africa. Matt, mm-hmm. you're American, right? Yeah, upstate New York. Yeah, like me. Where? Binghamton. Oh yeah, right around the corner. So um, Syracuse nice. and then Albany for me. But nice. so what? I mean, I I don't understand because people from upstate New York New York are, normally have sense, <laughs> 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 and they appreciate the natural topography and the beautiful, you know, sort of outdoors. Well, I don't. What would make you move to China and stay there? Honestly, it was, uh, you know, I was a little bit bored coming out of college. Um, I had just backpacked through Europe, uh, seen the world, and I didn't want that, you know, adventure to stop. Um, 
to make it quick, I was planning on doing like a maybe a year abroad, teach teach a little bit of English, maybe in Japan or Taiwan, someplace like that. And uh, ended up getting a call from a job prospector in mainland China. Sold all my stuff and said, you know what, I'll give China a shot. Hmm. Okay. Now, be- uh, Winston, what are what are we looking at behind you? You guys are in front of a green screen, and I'm seeing it looks like people are like stomping on you on the sidewalk. What, what's happening? Oh uh, yeah, sorry. Um, <laughs> we, we actually before leaving China, I used to go out very often and just take um, footage of the, the the street. Really, set up a tripod and stand there for about 10, 15 minutes at a time. After leaving China, um, I actually got some of our contacts there to do the same thing. So every once in a while, go out and film and uh you know send us the footage this is actually a government building in beijing and um it's just uh, a random clip of from a couple of months ago actually the chinese government's not super keen on uh on that yeah ah it looks so drab and depressing i mean can you just walk <laughs> us through i've never been to china um sure. what was it because winston you had a similar story where you moved over there to take a mm-hmm. teaching opportunity as i understand and decided you would stay like, what was yeah. it about China that made you stay? Because I will be honest, most of the stories in America about China are not good. And you don't normally sure. have somebody saying, here's here's the beautiful part. Here's the stuff that I found alluring. Well, I mean, it, it was very straightforward. When I went to China, I went on a business trip. Um, I was 25 years old at the time. And I went, to, went on a three-day business trip to go and take a look at some factories and some products that my client was importing to South Africa for um, security camera technology that he was buying from there. And uh, I ended up in Shenzhen, which uh, I know a lot of people don't really know Shenzhen, but it's probably the most important city in China. It's the first city to open up when it comes to trade and investment and and that kind of thing back in 1979. And um, it was such a mind-blowing experience to me, those three days, just vibrant. And um, the, the amount of people will blow your mind. It's just so many people, so many things happening at the same time. All night, you could go out and uh, the lights are on and people are having street side barbecue. And it was just such an amazing vibe for a young man. Uh, and it really attracted me, this whole, um, in, in Chinese, they say, which just means very sort of uh, bustling and, and, and happening. So it was, it was that that attracted me to China. So I went home and I sold everything and I went back to China with this idea that I would find work and I'd be able to make a life there because it looked like such an adventure. But when I got there, I figured out very quickly that uh, China is a very difficult place to navigate. And I ended up actually losing all my money in it. I actually ended up homeless for a number of days in China for, well, I ended up being about three days until I found uh, an agent that got me a teaching job. I slept on his couch and I'd used to teach kindergarten in the beginning. And I built myself up, got an apartment and basically went from there. And I ended up living for 14 years in China um, and doing some incredible adventures. Uh, Along with Matt here, we rode motorcycles throughout the whole of China. We made a couple of television documentaries. And um, we what what really blew me away was how different China was to my expectations when I first got there. Uh, Because as you say, uh, Western media and American media and so on, you used to paint a very bleak picture of China at the time, but China was changing and China was changing rapidly. And I could see that there was a lot of good there and a lot of interesting things to share with the world. And that's why um, I started my YouTube channel, which happens to be the first YouTube channel out of mainland China ever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, super but of popular. course, yeah, as things 
progressed, things changed, and China stopped being this country that was opening up and all this opportunity and, and really growing and started to revert and kind of go backwards and become more closed up and locked down and more um, hostile towards uh, foreigners and so on. And so it reached a point where uh, we had to leave. When, when did it change and why? Honestly, if I'm looking back at it, you could, you know, you, you have the boiled frog syndrome. You don't really notice it because it's just gradually happening. But I really think there was a turning point for me in 2015 when we shot our first documentary, when we were riding motorcycles through these kind of places that no, nobody had seen before, at least in the West, um, through provinces like Guizhou or Yunnan. These areas where we had previously been before with no problems, all of a sudden problems started creeping up. So we started seeing police minders following us around. There were people literally like cops on the side of the road as we would ride by marking our location and radioing to the next police officer. We would go to an area where the police would tell all of the hotels that we are not allowed to even be there or stay there. So we'd have to go to the next area. All of this started ramping up around 2015 and really came to a head. I think around 2017-ish, when we shot our second show, um, you know, we were busted, the the SWAT team busted in in our hotel when we were filming. We were filming very innocuous things. We were filming camels and minority cultures and things that are very pro-China to make China look good to the rest of the world, to show people things that we found beautiful about China. But still, the government was so paranoid, became so paranoid about anyone with a camera that wasn't Chinese or anyone that wasn't approved by the government to be filming or even traveling around China at all, um, you know, and putting it out there for the rest of the world to see. So I'd say 2015 to 2017 is where it got really hot. Yeah. So that's where it changed absolutely. for you guys. But Winston, do you feel like China itself was changing or do you feel like you were just kind of unaware oh, prior to that? Absolutely. Point? China was changing. Um, and we saw this happen. Definitely. We can trace it back to when Xi Jinping um, took office. And it was mm -hmm. when he rose to power that he decided to change things. Um, and he was sick and tired of the old hide your strengths and bide your time. Um, this has always been what China's done in the past since Deng Xiaoping. And so Xi Jinping came along and he said, you know what, we're powerful enough now. China is powerful. We're not going to hide our strengths and bide our time anymore. It's our turn to be in the spotlight. We're we're going to be the center of the universe now. And so he started to really enact a lot of nationalist policies. And you know, when I first got to China, you could still see the remnants of um, communism, as in all the banners, you know, you'd see a lot of hammers and sickles, you'd see the one child policy uh, propaganda all over the place on the buildings and, you know, Soviet style artwork. Yeah. Um, but throughout the years, that stuff started to be taken down, they mm -hmm. paint over that stuff that you wouldn't see the hammers and sickles everywhere, you wouldn't see all that communist symbolism. But after Xi Jinping took power, he started to bring that back. And you'd see more and more of these banners, these propaganda banners, and all the, the hammers and sickles came back. And uh, you could see it was really regressing. And, you know, we, we didn't just live in China. Both of us learned the language. I studied the language at Shenzhen University. Um, we both married, you know, locals. So we both have Chinese wives. We both have, um, you know... Uh, children, half Chinese children. And we really invested a lot into the country. And um, we really understand the country very well, having lived there and had businesses there and and all, all the rest of it. Um, and so we are very knowledgeable when it comes to China, and we could see it changing. And it wasn't like a, just us changing over time, maturing and getting older. It was really just a, 
uh, a very sudden shift in the attitude that China had towards dealing with the rest of the world that drove us off in the end. What Take us to sort of the day in, day out uh, business of living in China. I'm wondering how communism manifested, other than we'll get to the crackdown on YouTube, but mm-hmm. what, how, how did communism show up on a day-to-day basis there? Honestly, if you, if you were to go to China back in 08 when I went there, and like I said, maybe up to 2015, you wouldn't really see communism. In fact, like Winston said, it was being dismantled in a way, at least the symbology of it was being removed. It was almost exotic to see something like a hammer and sickle or a, or a propaganda banner. Um, those things were coming down and it was being replaced with free market capitalism. And it was almost like it was government policy to make sure that people uh, you know, the things that they saw and the lives that they li- they lived, the lives that they lived were conducive to China growing economically. So that meant more foreign investment, more welcoming for foreigners to come over there and start their businesses and things like this. So I would say in that time period, you wouldn't really see communism outside of maybe, uh, you know, thousands of kids gathering to do their salute to the, the flag raising and their uh, morning exercise to the coordinated communist sounding songs and the you know, the Chinese flag going up with the national anthem, those things were remnants of that. Uh, pieces of the education system that had, were very heavy handed with nationalism, things like that. Very, very uh, clear that this was an authoritarian power. But the communist stuff, again, was being removed. So would, to see that come back was a huge shock for us because it wasn't just the banners. It wasn't just the huge Xi Jinping, uh, you know, billboards waving at everybody in like a really poor rural vi- village. It wasn't just the symbology. It was also the state that was going from talking about why China should grow economically and maybe that's why we should be nice to other countries and cooperate to, no, we don't need those countries anymore. We are better than the the rest mm-hmm. of the world. We don't need these aggressors. The rest of the world wants to see China fail and really turn inwards. And I think that state media narrative, you know, China blocks most of the internet. China controls all, you know, the state controls all the media going out to the people. So that can really flip a switch. And I saw what that about, change. Like, when uh, yeah, Russia is no longer communist, but uh, obviously has its roots there. And sure. I've been over there a few times over the past few years in Moscow and St. Petersburg and elsewhere. You go over there, looks very much, feels very much in some ways like America. You could mm-hmm. you go out to a restaurant, you go out having drinks with friends at night. Mm-hmm. Now, in my case, I was followed around by government agents the whole time because I was there to meet with Putin. But I think the average American wouldn't necessarily have that experience with their bags being sifted through by, you know, his his people in any event. um, But it was absolutely lovely. It felt very European. Like if you were to go there, you wouldn't necessarily know you were in a country with those kinds of roots and that kind of history. Was China like that ever for you? Or is it more like curfew, bed, no drinking, Uh, no no carousing? (laughs) <laughs> no, absolutely. Listen, if you go to any of the first tier cities or, or even second tier cities in China, so we're talking Shanghai, Beijing, Guangzhou, Shenzhen, you know, any of these big cities, you will think that you're just in a first world country. You've got your Starbucks there, you've got your McDonald's, you've got your, you know, very good infrastructure, you've got your subway systems, you've got, uh, you know, very good roads. It looks fantastic, shiny buildings. Um, and you do think that you're just in a normal um, first world country. You can walk around freely. It's very safe. And you can go and do your banking or do whatever you want to do. Um, it's when you leave the big cities that you really get to see what China is really like. Um, and for instance, you just need to drive about an hour out of, in, out of any of these cities and you will start to see a lot of poverty. You will start to see a lot of um, old style 
worn out propaganda everywhere. You'll start to see, you know, uh, the, the real China. Um, and, you know, this whole idea of China being communist, it's it's a weird one because in China, they call it communism and or socialism with Chinese characteristics, which just means that it can be whatever they want it to be. And they mm -hmm. change it all the time. You know, um, if you work for a big government, if you work for the government, so if you're a policeman or you, you work for any government office, you still get this whole remnants of communism stuff. They still give you a year's supply of rice and oil as your yearly end bonus and toilet paper. It's kind of this whole, you know, the state providing thing. But that's about as far as it goes, really. Um, they don't look after, there's not good social programs for the average person, for instance. So um, hmm. it's really communist in name only. You don't really get to see the the so-called fruits of communism, uh, uh, so to speak. Yeah, I always make a joke yeah. that America is more communist than China. If we're talking yeah. about social, you're talking about the roots of like communism, socialism. Right. America has much more social programs than China does. China is probably the least hospitable country in terms of social programs I've ever seen for calling for a country that calls itself socialist or communist. And we're getting more authoritarian by the day, uh, as yeah. we oh, discuss okay. often on this show. All right. So you're over there. That's good. That's a good scene setter. So you're over there, you're doing your YouTube show, you're out on your motorcycles, you marry Chinese women. Life sounds like it's pretty good. And mm -hmm. then you you mentioned, Matt, that you just started to see like people following you and that, like a sort of a crackdown began, not, not being able to check into hotels that you would have expected there would have been no trouble checking into. And I, I've read you sa you've said before, one of the things that was odd to you about it was you were pro-China. You were not, I understand, you know, a discussion like this, the Chinese might not like. We'll see how the YouTube people respond. But you were saying positive things about China. So it, you, there must have been a period initially where you were like, what's the problem? Yeah, absolutely. I think there was a, a huge wake up call. But I think what Winston had a good point earlier. If you just go to China and you just walk around, you might think that everything is normal. But when you understand the language and see how society is run, especially how the government intertwines with people's daily lives, then you start to understand how things work. And I think you realize, I think I realized over time is that that script of being an authoritarian country with full control over everything was always there. Nothing changed necessarily. There was on paper, it was always going to be an authoritarian country. But in that kind of golden period, as we call it, under Jiang Zemin and Hu Jintao, those two, those two leaders before Xi Jinping, we saw China be in a gray zone. It was a gray zone where, yes, those rules were on paper, but in reality, people could kind of do what they want as long as they were earning money and they weren't really getting super involved or critical of the government. So that kind of paper, that script was enacted again by the leadership uh, uh, under Xi Jinping, where now all of these kind of secret police and all these all these things that were on retainer or in the background could now be enacted and it didn't matter if you're pro china or not because there's a disconnect there nobody in beijing was sitting down looking at our material saying wow all of this is very pro china this is great what they're seeing is well the leadership told us that foreigners walking around with cameras and then posting to websites that we've blocked in china is probably a bad thing so we should make sure that they're being monitored and that gets out of hand. It's just like any authoritarian state. There's no, there's no real balance there. It's either on or off. And they turned it on, and then all foreigners were bad with cameras at that point, unless it's they could crazy be co-opted. It's crazy to think in a, in a country with a billion people, they've got that close an eye on two guys like you. You know, with all due respect, you know, it's not, like this is the level of detail that they hone in on and pay attention to and punish if it's not going their way or if they have even a suspicion. So when you talk about like how it started to escalate, so you first you have the people following you, you can't check into the hotels, 
And then I know there was, you believe that there was, I've read you say that, that they wanted to destroy you psychologically, targeting you, targeting your wives, targeting family members. Walk mm-hmm. us through some of that. Well, first of all, something that your audience needs to understand is that in China, every single foreigner is watched. All right. Um, even before any of this YouTube stuff, even before any of this, uh, when you rent an apartment um, or move into a neighborhood, you must report to the local police station within 24 hours of actually coming into China. You're supposed to. But, you know, you have to register. Even if you're staying in a hotel, usually the hotels actually do it for you. So when you sign in, they will send the paperwork off to the local police to say, to. yeah, they're supposed to all your details, your passport and stuff. This foreigner is staying here. But when you move into an apartment, you must register with the local police so that they know where the foreigners are. Now, you get assigned basically a minder who looks after all the foreigners in that particular area, maybe in that housing complex, maybe in that neighborhood. Like it's open. Um, It's open that you have a minder. Everybody knows it. Yeah, yeah. You have to, you you know, and I found this out right in the beginning because plain clothes guy, I wasn't aware. You see, I just got to China and the the rules are not very clear. And when I moved into my first apartment, uh, I got a knock on the door and a a plainclothes police officer and a bunch of his subordinates all walked in and started taking photos of me and stuff. And I couldn't really understand what was going on. Um, but it turns out he was the local police guy. He's very friendly and all that. It, was all, it wasn't a terrible um, experience or anything, but it, it, it wakes you up. Okay, you're being watched. And um, l- later on, when I went to go and renew it, because you're supposed to renew it whenever you, um, your visa changes or whatever. And I went into the local police station. And by that point, I could read Chinese because I'd been studying Chinese. And they had like a, they have like a, what's called a temporary residence permit type thing that they keep um, in their system. And so they updated it and, uh, then they stamp it and you have to give them your passport photo and all that. And when I looked at it, I could see in the notes section, they had written down where I worked. They written down, Oh, he can speak Chinese and he Mm. can do this and that, that like a bunch of my movements and stuff were written down in there. So they'd been keeping an eye on me. So everybody is watched, but it's, it's an interesting situation because depending on your nationality, you're either watched more or you're watched less. So for instance, because I'm South African, uh, in China, they don't like Africans at all. They keep a very close eye on Africans. They put a priority on that. And because my passport is African, um, they would come and knock on my door in the middle of the night, sometimes at 11, 12 at night to just check, up, check on my paperwork. Whenever something what? was happening, like for instance, just before the Beijing Olympics, um, they ramped up this whole thing to make sure that all the foreigners were in, in check. So they would come and quite often come and check up on me. But my um, Australian friends or uh, American friends, et cetera, wouldn't get the same sort of harassment because they were from first world countries. So, you know, it all depends on your nationality, how much you would be um, harassed, so to speak, by your minders. But um, it did then reach a point where we started to become too famous and people started to know us um, too well, and I would start to get visits from the police quite often. Um, and things really, really degraded to a point where um, the nationalists turned on us, and that's when things were really, really went crazy. Well, like what happened? What started happening, Matt? Like, how did your life begin to change in ways that scared you? Um, well, you got death threats. You had people posting, you know, the area that you live on these for the nationalist forums, and that. If you were to complain to any of these forum, you know, owners or the government or the police, none of these posts would be removed. It was clear that a switch had been flipped. Um, when, you know, what would what we saw happening was people would take our videos that would be very positive. Let's say, for example, I, I'm thinking of a video we made 
we're walking around and talking about how China has cleaned up so much in the past few years, like how how it's clean the streets have become. And what happened was people uploaded that video, put it on the Chinese internet. So they stole it off YouTube, put it on the Chinese internet, and then put fake subtitles up for the people that didn't speak oh. English. So what it would say is that, wow, look at how disgusting everything is. It's so gross around here. Look at how uh, awful China looks. And then people, you know, it would rile up the nationalists. And this we found out it was kind of by design. It was um, almost like clockwork that this was happening. There was teams of people that were just kind of going after us. And we realized it was an official capacity, like I said before, when people like the SWAT team and detectives were showing up, knowing your entire history throughout China, knowing all your details, your work contracts, your wife, where you shop, all this kind of stuff, you realize that you've been, you've been being tracked the entire time and they're trying to make you feel unwelcome for a very good reason. What, yeah, I gotta point what happens out that, when the SWAT team shows up? I mean, you say SWAT well, yeah, team, we gotta I point think out guns that that drawn. That happened and... in Inner Mongolia, by the way. Um, so the SWAT team, it's not like they turned up at our house. Um, we were out filming the, the, the tribes in Inner Mongolia where they herd camels and, and things like that. So Inner Mongolia is a province of China, by the yeah. way, so no one's confused. Okay, thank you. Yeah, so it's all the way up on the border, of Ru like near the border of Russia and all that up there. It's, it's up there. So we're out there in the grasslands doing our thing in the middle of nowhere. Um, and China has this thing where you can't stay in hotels in the rural parts of China if you're if you're a foreigner. They have designated hotels that are allowed to have foreigners stay in them. Um, so, you know, it's kind of difficult to find a hotel in this particular rural area. There was only one hotel in one town that could have foreigners stay in it. It's going North Korea. Yeah. So we um, head to that town. And uh, they had been tipped off that we'd be there by a nationalist. Uh, it's it's a bit of a long story, but a nationalist who who was kind of out to get us. Um, and uh, so we got raided in the middle of the night in Inner Mongolia, thousands, like thousands of kilometers away from where we live. And uh, they brought in the PLA. Uh, they brought in the, the, the local Communist Party sort of head official. They brought in detectives, like you said, and they were discussing... Uh, where our wives worked and all this kind of stuff when we were all the way up there in inner mongolia it's pretty so wild what what about your wives because they didn't it doesn't sound like they caught a break just because they were chinese <laughs> no that's the thing it, the chinese government has this mechanism that it uses it uses family to intimidate people so they know that if they bring your family into anything it's like the mafia right um, they want to silence you they want to affect you they threaten your family so uh, this is a very well-known tactic so they know that if they bring your wives into it um, and they threaten the stability of your wife's uh, livelihood or her life or whatever the case, her lifestyle, that it will intimidate people into silence, for instance. Yeah. Yeah. So there are, there are things that were happening to them. Like uh, my wife had quit her previous job. She worked at, um, I won't give the company details or anything, but she worked as a, you know, a, a sales manager for a big electronics company. And what was happening is there were people within the government and nationalists and things that were reporting to her boss thinking she was still working there and sending official like looking government documents saying that she's a spy saying that she's uh you know a traitor to the nation and all this kind of stuff and this stuff was allowed to proliferate even though it wasn't true it was allowed to proliferate because it was a way to get to us to silence us and yeah. we at, what, at some point we just said that that's enough you know we had seen how sinister and evil the chinese government can actually be and that's honestly that's why the chinese government doesn't like us so much is because we live there we're not just guys that are you know reading the newspaper right. saying wow china's you know become so evil because of the government we we lived through it we see what they do the, the tactics have been employed on us so we know how 
how it works and and probably what they're going to do uh, going forward. And that's why we do what we do now. My yeah, goodness, you know, if um, you were in far my case, cry my... from upstate New York in those moments, I can't imagine. <laughs> sure, yeah. I was like, get, get, uh, hello, Binghamton. Go ahead. Let's <laughs> Shout out to Binghamton. Yeah. You know, yeah. my, my wife is a doctor um, and that is a government position in China, you know, because any kind of uh, policeman, doctor, it's all, you know, it's not like in, in the States where it's a high paying job. It's that you're a civil servant, basically. So she is a doctor and um, they went after both my wife and his wife at the same time. And what happened here was this was a, a nationalist movement. So the, the ultra nationalists of China, of which there are many, and, and the government relies on the nationalists and they turn them on and off to boycott products or, you know, boycott a, a certain nation or whatever at any time, given time. Um, they put together like a 24-page document with screenshots of me and my wife and so on, and you and your wife uh, online, and uh, you know, sent them through to the public security bureau, sent them through to the medical board, the, the all the hospitals in in the city that I used to live in, and all, all you know, basically all the different levels that they could. Uh, calling my wife a, a traitor and saying that she sympathizes with foreign powers and that she it's the same report. Yeah, it was the, <laughs> the same report, just differently worded with the the mm -hmm. pictures of us in. It actually resulted in my wife getting a disciplinary hearing. She had to get pulled in and, you know, they had to figure out what was going on. Of course, she'd been a doctor for many years and uh, they, they knew that none of this was true because, you know, she's she knows all her higher ups and her bosses and so on. So it was taken care of. Luckily, it didn't uh, result in her getting fired or any any detention or anything. But that was their end goal was to try and disrupt my life by going after my wife and uh, going after your wife. And it's it's really cowardly and, and disgusting tactics, but that was really just part of it. We, I still stayed in China after that. We still stayed in China after that. We still continued. And we were not very critical of China. That's the thing. The, the kind of things that we were homing in on and uh, discussing were the uh, social problems that affected not only us, but our Chinese families and, and the Chinese people around us. For instance, the horrendous kidnapping issue in China. You know, you're going to have a child in China. You have to watch out. Kidnapping is huge. It's what? a big problem, you know, but we why? talk about kidnapping and all of a sudden we're enemies of the state. Why? Why is it a big problem? Is it related to the one child policy? Oh, there's a huge industry. Uh, there's a lot of very, very sinister industries going on in China. I think a lot of people rely on China's public data for like crime and safety when that's absolute nonsense. They can put out whatever they want, just like their COVID numbers. Yeah, um, It's all manufactured. So when you live in China, you start to see some of the ills. I'll, I mean, I don't want to shock your audience too much, but like one of the no, first things I saw when I went to China was I was going down an escalator just to go shopping outside of a massive you know, wealthy looking supermarket slash mall. And I see a child alone, maybe three years old, um, missing, missing a limb and covered in severe acid burns. Oh my and it was God. begging, uh, this child was begging with a, with a bowl. I couldn't tell if it was a boy or a girl, um, just right there on the street. And people were walking by, the police were walking by, nothing was being done. And it was kind what? of like a light bulb went off in my head. I was like, maybe the, Maybe the stuff I've been reading about China's like, you know, crime and safety and this kind of stuff, is, the statistics are are not correct. Maybe yes, they're, this they're is supposed to be one great thing about China, that if you live there, you don't have to worry about crime because, you know, because of, of all the things you're discussing. We've talked about this multiple times. You have to live in China to see how the crime works. It's I mean, my house was almost broken into, you know, successfully broken into multiple times. There's one time my wife 
There's a guy scaling the building trying to get into her window. She threw a flower pot at him to get him to fall <laughs> down off the building. It's oh you know, petty crime. Well, wait, wait, why, why are kidnapping so bad? Is it because of the one child policy, which was in place for so many years? There's some of that, you know, as far as the kidnapping is concerned, rural families who can't have children, who want children, um, they pay for children so that they can have a, a, a son to look after them and to take care of things. And they pay a lot of money for that sort of thing. There's all the human trafficking when when it comes to beggar gangs and, you know, the more sinister stuff too. Um, there's a lot of terrible things happening, but kidnapping is such a massive issue in China that it's never, it's never covered. But Chinese people know about it. Oh, yeah. They're so afraid to leave their child anywhere by themselves you know it's wow. a it, it's a terrifying terrifying situation but you know i actually stopped a child trafficking gang on the subway of uh shenzhen oh, sure um, as you do yeah no <laughs> seriously and it really it really it really annoyed me because um I was taking the subway and I noticed begging is not allowed on the on the shenzhen metro which is the underground train system there but uh, one day there was a woman there came in with an overcoat and then she took off her overcoat and she's wearing kind of shabby clothes and she had a child strapped to her back and she started begging and people were giving her money um but i thought it was kind of weird because the child was about two years old and was very silent and and uh, not moving around really looked drugged and groggy so um i kind of took some photos of her and the next day i took the metro again and there was a different woman um same mo took off the overcoat had raggedy clothes underneath and a child on her back. And I noticed it was the same child. So I took photos of her too. And then the third day, when a third woman came along and had the same child on her back, I actually physically grabbed her and pulled her off of the train and called security. Oh, wow. And so the security guards came down and the police came and uh, I Bluetoothed all the photos to them. And then uh, they actually took her away. Hopefully the child was uh, taken care of properly. And then they actually put up banners in the metro stations to say, don't give money to people like this and, and put the, some of the pictures I'd taken. So, you know, it's yeah. the complacency of society that allows this kind of thing to happen as well, because you don't want to stand out in, in China. If you try to stand out and make a fuss, you, you, your you life get gets destroyed, basically. Yeah. I, can't, I cannot imagine walking past a three-year-old who's been burned and is missing a limb and just not doing anything about it. It's just, it's hard to understand how you get into that headspace. And it's, also very scary to think when you were saying that they're following you, I was thinking in my own head, what would somebody who's following me see like the most boring life there? She's gone to the school again. She's gone to the vet again. She's back mm -hmm. at the vet, the school, the vet. Like It's not exciting, but it it doesn't matter. That's the point you're making. They're they're The whole point is to make things up about you. So they're not actually out for an earnest search of Correct. who mm -hmm. Winston and Matt are. They're out to ruin you and your wives. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's really tough to fight back when that's from a government. Let, let me pause it here uh, sure. and then we'll turn the page when we come back. There's so much more to go over. And Winston and Matt have a lot of thoughts on China in general and what it's doing with respect to the United States and the world that we need to keep our eye on. But we aren't. Uh, some are, but for the most part, we're not. Do you owe back taxes? Pandemic relief is now over. Along with hiring thousands of new agents and field officers, the IRS has kicked off 2024 by sending over 5 million pay-up letters to those who have unfiled tax returns or balances owed. Oh, joy. Don't waive your rights and speak with them on your own. Tax Network USA, a trusted tax relief firm, has saved over $1 billion in back taxes for their clients, and they can help you secure the best deal possible. Whether you owe $10,000 or $10 million, they can help you. Whether it's business or personal taxes, 
even if you have the means to pay or you're on a fixed income, they can help finally resolve your tax burdens once and for all. Call 1-800-245-6000 for a private free consultation or visit tnusa.com slash Megan. China's zero COVID policies are in the news these days because of major protests breaking out in the country. Uh, they, these major protests led to the government changing its zero COVID policy, which was so restrictive. Um, and since they've lifted it now, Chinese health authorities suddenly willing to volunteer all sorts of information. And that information is that 80 percent of the country has contracted COVID since they lifted those restrictions to appease the citizenry just this past December. Uh, I'm sure I'm sure every single case happened to post that. Uh, although, of course, nobody outside of China can verify these numbers. So they're pretty good at misinformation, Winston and Matt. We have no idea what to believe when mm-hmm. China releases any sort of facts and figures. What do you think about that issue in particular, zero COVID, what's happened there and you know this new attempt to spin? Honestly, I think a, a huge part of this was the protests that followed. But first of all, so your audience understands that when people talk about lockdowns in Australia or in America or in any of these other countries, it's not the same lockdowns that were happening in China. In China, we were talking about lockdowns where people were getting welded into their houses. People were starving out because the government programs weren't giving them enough food. We were talking about lockdowns where people were separated from their families. I mean, they were taking kids from families and putting them into quarantine camps. It was crazy. It was like uh, something, you know, it's unprecedented. And so when we're talking about lockdowns, we're talking about people for years being locked into prison-like state. Um, oh and it, it it takes a mental toll on everyone, physical, mental, economic toll on everyone in the country. So when these protests, they were bound to happen, right? But even for us, it was quite a shock to see people taking to the streets to protest yeah. really anything. Because in China, protesting is not allowed. It's not allowed to gather people together and and stand up for any sort of issue unless it's government sponsored or you apply ahead of time and the issue has been agreed upon by the government. So, for example, popular topics to protest about in the past were like anti-Japan protests yeah, because say, America. <laughs> Japan. Yeah, yeah. So going back to that, to see these people protest and go out there and then to watch the protests morph into uh, from you know stop these lockdowns into step down xi jinping step down ccp let's like you know the government needs to step down that was crazy it was mind-blowing we called it almost like a mini revolution or a tiananmen square 2.0 because we've never seen anything like that since 1989 but we did have a major issue with how this was kind of being spun it although the protests led to the government having a knee-jerk reaction in in lifting those COVID uh, those COVID lockdowns and all these crazy archaic, you know, uh, measures that they were taking, although that caused that to happen, it's not that the protesters won because I think a lot of people stopped the story after then. I think they said, "Wow, their demands were achieved. I guess the government buckled." What they don't realize is that after the fact, the police, the secret police, the government tracked every single person that was even near the protests. I mean, we're talking to people the other day that didn't even participate in the protests, but they were near them and they were visited by police and the people that participated were disappeared. And we're talking about kids that were just holding up blank pieces of paper and the protests were taken away by secret police. So that's where the conversation stopped. And we, we were really disappointed to see that people didn't realize that the protests weren't necessarily successful. China's still a very, very authoritarian, crazy, um, you know, archaic system where they will go after anyone for standing up against the government. It's just this time they got away with it because they did it silently. 
the um the uh, following up on what we discussed in the last segment about the crime and what's actually happening there and listening to you describe these government tactics of disappearing people and so on um i've got to ask you about this op-ed in the new york times which i'm sure you saw by <laughs> heather Kay, talking about what a lovely experience it was raising her children she's american in china uh, mm -hmm. My work in the fashion industry took my husband and me to Shanghai in 2006, where we spent the next 16 years, started a family. In China, government co-parenting begins in the womb. They opted to send <laughs> their twins, I think, to Chinese kindergarten. You, you know about that, Winston. Um, mm -hmm. Lecturing us on everything in the Chinese kindergarten, including how many hours our daughters should sleep, what they should eat, and their optimal weight. M most of us, Heather, can figure that out without the government. Just FYI. Sure. Um, people have been doing it for since the beginning of time. She goes on to say, um, each morning, all the students perform calisthenics in straight rows and raised China's red flag while singing the national anthem. Now, I have to say, I would like to see some more civics here in America, and I would like to see the, the pledge and a little bit more push toward patriotism like we used to have. So there's a piece of me that felt a little envy when I read just that tiny piece of it. Um, mm -hmm. But then she goes on to talk about how we sometimes felt as if our children were on loan to us for evenings and weekends to be delivered back to school each weekday. She loved how, how academically driven they were because they didn't want to disappoint their teachers. They would repeat Chinese propaganda concerning keeping up with their peers, despair, whatever. Uh, then she goes on to say um, that the surveillance state results in its own kind of freedom. With crime and personal safety concerns virtually eliminated, our daughters were riding the subway unsupervised in a city of around 26 million people from the age of 11. I got to tell you guys, I'm so glad to hear you tell the truth, because part of me was like, well, that'd be nice as a person who had kids in New York for nine years. You can't do that there. But this what is this? Is this propaganda this, by this woman? There's a there's a couple of things. And I, I know you've got a lot to say on this. But the, the first thing that I want to address, strangely enough, is the idea of her children traveling by themselves on the subway. Well, because the children are not Chinese, the chances of them actually being targeted by crime are zero. Because in China, if you're caught messing around with foreigners, um, the penalties are so much higher. So your pickpockets, your general criminals, your kidnappers will not, first of all, you can't kidnap a foreign child. You will not be able to sell them. It's mm -hmm. too, you know, you can't pretend that this is someone else's child if you're selling it to someone in the rural countryside. So a foreign child will be safe, 100%. And foreigners, foreigners in general are very safe in China because, you know, they just, aren't messed with because the repercussions are too high. And the second thing I want to say is that this, this woman went, 2006 is when I went to China, February of 2006. That's when I first arrived in China. And I lived through the entire period all the way up till 2019. And I saw what she saw in the beginning was a China that was changing for the positive. So she got a positive um, uh, experience in the beginning. But not only that, Shanghai is not China. All right. Shanghai is the most cosmopolitan, most foreign-friendly city in China. So it's like going to New York or something like that. You know, you can't compare New York to rural Alabama or something like that. You just can't do it. It's Shanghai, um, we call it the Shanghai bubble. And that's where most foreigners end up because it's so much more like home. You know, you have a certain, I mean, they got a hooters there for crying out loud. Okay? Oh, wow. <laughs> I shot a video there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Shanghai is, is, is the most international um, cosmopolitan city of China. So to use that as an example is a very bad example. And when it comes to teaching 
children in kindergarten because I actually did teach kindergarten children for about a year and a half right in the beginning. Sure, they get to do the flag raising and the calisthenics and all that nonsense in the morning, but they also get taught to hate Japanese people, for instance. I remember four and five-year-old children being tell, told by the teaching assistant, never trust Japanese people. They're all liars and cheats and, and uh, you know, that type of thing. And I was thinking to myself, why, why do you have to teach young children to hate so much? Wow. And they also keep getting taught that the outside world is out there to um, take advantage of China and, and so on and so forth. And you're just thinking it's unnecessary to teach so much hate to such young children, you know? Yeah, and, I, I was going through this op-ed a couple of times. Um, I, I would never go after someone for having an opinion, and I'm never going to call someone's experience a lie. But I can say that, again, it doesn't represent China as a whole. China is a massive country, and Shanghai is very, very a specific place. But all of these you know, so-called advantages she's talking about, one of them really bothered me, and that was being, you know, uh, walking out from the walking away from the article thinking that now her kids are going to have a better experience having gone through all that because they might see the world from a different perspective. I like that. I like that idea. I think that's a great idea. But China, the Chinese education system teaches xenophobia. It teaches mm. nationalism. It teaches very, very not just not patriotism, but blind patriotism in all the worst ways. I mean, they take students when they're seven, eight, nine years old to museums to go see mutilated bodies from the from the Japanese war experiments and the war crimes that they they um, did in China. All of these things are to brainwash children at a very young age to make them feel like they are separate from the rest of the world. And I think it's teaching the opposite of inclusivity. I think all of these things that Heather was talking about in the article about how there's more community aspects. There was more like camaraderie. There's more people coming together. I think is I had the exact opposite experience in China. I saw some of the worst bullying I've ever seen in my life in the Chinese education system. The kids treating each other very, very poorly. This sense of community, I think, is fantasy. I think the Chinese public education system breeds contempt. It's not. It doesn't breed any sort of individuality. individuality. It doesn't reward any sort of creativity. And I see the polar opposite in the American education system, which obviously a lot of people criticize, but I see such nice attributes coming out of my kids and such nice things being taught where people are equal, where everyone has the same opportunity and chance. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter. uh, Maybe you're an immigrant from another country. People cater to your needs. People want to learn more about you. It's such a better system and a more healthy system to raise your child in than compared to the Chinese system. So I found this article mostly fantasy. Don't forget wow. about the competition that the education system yeah. breeds. You know, in China, especially uh, the Gaokao, which is this um, entrance exam into universities, the most important part of Chinese education. If you fail at that or if you don't do well um, in that particular test, you will not go to a university or you will not go to a good university. It doesn't matter who you are, you see. It doesn't matter. Obviously, rich people, they pay their way through and so on. But like supposedly, it doesn't matter who you are. Um, and so the amount of pressure that's put on children in order to pass that um, really, it, it drives, it actually does drive children to suicide. Mm-hmm. And it's a very bad s- system. But what it does is it breeds this um, this this horrible sort of uh, a situation where all the children are competing for these spots in the university. So they they turn on each other and they um, they overstudy and they overfocus on this stuff. And it, it's very detrimental to the mental health of the children anyway. Yeah. All right. Let me let me um, shift gears because we don't have a long time left. Sure. You guys got to come back because I want to hear all your thoughts on all the stuff China's doing to us. I want to hear about the land buys. I want to hear about what they're doing sure. in the oceans. I know you guys oh, yeah. are great on that. Um, the the 
technological theft, the trademark theft. There's so much to go over, which we won't get to in our first time together. Sure. But talk to me about what's happened since you you pieced out of there. You came back to America. Um, first of all, I'm interested, Winston, in whether your wife, does she have to go back to medical school here? Is she working? Like, how does that work now? Oh, no, she's she's on a de- dependence visa, so she's not allowed to work. So she's a full time housewife at the moment. So I assume I mean, I'll just give you one example. I had a very contentious interview when we first launched this show with Mark Cuban, in which I tried to get him to say something mildly critical of China's human rights record um, mm-hmm. in the way he's criticizing America through BLM and so on. And he wouldn't mm-hmm. do it. I mean, he tried so hard not to do it until I almost made him. And then right. weirdly, I not only sounds paranoid, but weirdly then my phone got completely bombed with all those like fake phone calls. And like, I mean, for mm-hmm. you know, a month and a half, it just was nonstop just right after that interview. And then we put this super blocking technology on it and it's been OK. But am I crazy to think that the Chinese did something to me? Are, are you do you suffer consequences for your China critiques to this day? Absolutely. Um, I think that it's not good to inspire them. <laughs> so, you know, there's not a <laughs> whole lot be a goal. About, but, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, for sure. Uh, but that being said, uh, we did a major, you know, shift after we we moved to America. And that's because we found like minded individuals. It wasn't just us. Like, I, I don't want to make this about us. We talk about the SWAT team. We talk about getting harassed and followed around China. But again, by and large, if you're a foreigner that's not famous in China, you have a certain privilege over the average Chinese person. You get away with a lot more. But that being said, when we moved to America, we met dissidents, Chinese dissidents from mainland China that we could converse to in Chinese and found out what they went through. It inspired us to start telling the truth about what we were holding back when we were in China. All the things that we were seeing under the surface, we could now talk about and we could give a voice to the thousands and thousands of dissidents that we meet here in the US that can't speak up because either they have family back home or you know they'll be targeted more so than maybe um you know a, a native english speaking voice out there so it was almost like fuel to the fire it was like finally we have met people that are ostracized, marginalized, and also harassed by this horrible authoritarian government and we wanted to speak up on their behalf but not only for that reason because we also saw that the Chinese government has been creeping into different political systems or not just political systems, but in different Western countries in general and trying to exploit them. I I have to say that what shocked me the most when I came to America is just how easily the Chinese government is able to take advantage of systems here and they've crept into everything. And it's so easy to see how they mold and shape the, the diaspora here, the way they control people here in the States, the way that they control universities and, and opinions about China through things like the Confucius Institutes, for instance, and all these language and cultural programs and all these these things they have with universities, for instance, where they, they give money and so on. Um, it's just crazy just how easily they've gotten in here and, and gotten their tentacles into every part of life in America. And it, the really yeah. the biggest victims are the Chinese people that come here to America to use the freedom and the free education system and to and learn new ideas, share new ideas, and then still get harassed by the tentacles of the Chinese government here on American soil. And that's what we can. And you're talking about the university system. Thinking about the Penn Biden Center, which you know, you Penn got all this money once it affiliated with him from the Chinese, fifty million bucks. It's not a coincidence. It's you know they try to buy influence and we ignore it at our peril. To be continued. Let's do a part two, guys. Thank you so sure. much for okay. being on. Thank you, Megan. Uh, and tomorrow, folks, Michael Knowles and Mike Baker will be here. We'll see you then. Thanks for listening to the Megan Kelly Show. No BS. No agenda and no fear.
BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts.